Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Belinda Morell. Belinda is a best-selling, internationally published children's author with a history of writing in her family that spans over 200 years. I think we're going to have to talk about that. Her previous titles include four picture books, her fantasy adventure series, The Sun Sword Trilogy, and seven time slip adventures. These books have been recognised by various awards, including Honour Book Koala's 2013 shortlisted nine times for the Young Australian's Best Book Award, Yabba, CBCA Notable List 2012 and 2017, and are highly commended in the PM's Literary Awards. Welcome, Belinda. That is some bio. I could keep going and going with your bio because it's quite amazing, but Welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm so thrilled to be here. And I'm so excited to have you. And I can't believe I haven't spoken to you yet with a full episode. So I'm really excited to be here today. Now, today we're going to talk about The Golden Tower, this glorious little book. I just, you know, in some books, you just love the feel of them as well. This is one of those books where I just like the feel of it. <laughs> oh, I love the cover to it. It's so yeah, gorgeous. It's beautiful. And I was saying to you before we started recording, it was just like a, a fairy tale, you know, a modern day fairy tale. So I loved that. Brings well, you back to your childhood. <laughs> Thank you so much. And can you give us an elevator pitch for those who may not have read it yet? Absolutely. The Golden Tower is the story of Sophie, who's a young girl, and she's gone to England to stay with her nana when she accidentally stumbles into the magical land of Tusia following a troublemaking cat. So Tusia is full of magic, mystery and wonder, 
flying horses and talking cats, but also danger and evil plots. And so to get home, Sophie has to face her fears. She has to unravel mysteries and she has to try and stop the evil Ginevra and her wicked plots. Um, So Sophie has to muster all the courage she can find um, to deal with all these problems. My goodness. And what more could you ask for in a middle grade book? You know, magic and time slips and magic cats and flying horses. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I wanted to ask you just from the description on the back, you know, in her wildest dreams, Sophie never thought she'd be kidnapped by a cat, taken to a world of flying horses. Now, I know that it's really difficult sometimes for authors to tell us where their ideas emerged from, but this is some wild idea. How did this happen, Belinda? Oh, it actually started about four years ago and I was on holiday, as we were back then, with my family in Italy and we're wandering in Rome, the streets of Trastevere, and we look up and we see this little alleyway and it's called Vicolo de Mazzamarelli. And I said to the kids, oh, this alleyway is named after us, the Morel family. And I thought, wow, that's so cute. So, of course, being a writer and being curious, I had to Google and find out exactly what was Mazzamarelli. And I found out that they were these amazing little Italian goblins, like fairy folk, little people who lived in the tunnels under the old palazzos and they'd come up at night time and cause all this mischief and tweak people's noses and and steal things like one sock and one key or something. (laughs) That's where your socks go. Exactly. And so the kids and I have decided we have Mazzamarelli living in our laundry downstairs. (laughs) So it started with this idea of these magical folk and I thought I have to write a book that has these little magical goblins in them somewhere. They're like English um, brownies or Irish leprechauns and they they were just delightful and so mischievous and it started from there so then I started researching Italian folklore and Italian fairy tales and then Italian renaissance history and so all of these wonderful ideas started bubbling away in my imagination and I thought oh this is just going to be the best book to write ever I love that level of research and you must have found that research so fascinating and unexpected what were some of the fascinating or surprising things you found about that research especially with the Italian fairy tales and folklores I love that Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. It was, you know, the mythology is full of flying horses and centaurs and fauns. And as far as the um, history went, I was just fascinated by the Italian Renaissance history because I always had this idea that women in history were sort of fairly ignored and forgotten. But gosh, Italian Renaissance women were really feisty. They did some amazing things. So I researched women like Isabella d'Est and uh, Isabella de' Medici and um, Caterina Sforza, all these wonderful, wonderful women who were, um, they were warriors, they fought with swords, they led armies, they um, invented alchemy and medicines, and they did all these quite incredible things. And so I started gathering all of these things. And of course, Lucretia Borgia, who was incredibly beautiful, and she was a real diplomat and incredibly intelligent and talented but she used to like to wear this ring um a bit like mine and it flipped up and she used to have poison and she oh her enemies drinks and I thought wow she's a woman you don't want to mess with so that's uh, surprising I didn't expect you to say that I know so there was all this wonderful history and then as far as the fairy tales went I looked at some of the really early fairy tales that were precursors to the fairy tales we know. Um, so, for example, Petrusinella um, was written way before um, the Rapunzel story that we know. Mm-hmm. And Petrusinella was 
way more feisty than Rapunzel. She was um, smart. She was clever. She could do magic. She she was um, kidnapped by an ogress and, and locked in a tower, but she actually fought the ogress herself. She didn't wait around for some charming prince to rescue her. And I loved this idea. In a lot of the Italian fairy tales, women were really feisty. I guess Italian women are. Mm. And so I um, I drew on this idea to kind of subvert the paradigm of the, you know, the damsel in distress trope and the, the girl locked in the tower and um, and played around with some of these ideas to write, as you said, a modern fairy tale with a, with a strong, strong female protagonists that save themselves and have to solve the problems and and really um I wanted to write about a role models that girls could aspire to be like mm-hmm. and um, and that was how it started out I love that you know what I find really interesting too is that full circle so you're talking about you know not waiting for a handsome prince to rescue her you know and then we've got all disnified and that's what everyone is waiting for someone to save them you know I think it's, got, it's evolving a little bit but slowly and now I think we're coming full circle back to that no no she's going to get herself out of mischief and trouble so isn't that interesting that now we finally come full circle and we're back to this of the original more to the original story yes and I found that fascinating because I didn't really realize I, I knew all the English fairy tales that we're familiar with but it wasn't until I started reading the Italian versions that I really realized um how much more interesting they were and how much more um I, I guess some um, fascinating and interesting those characters were. And they're dark too. Sometimes the original fairy tales, they're quite dark, probably oh, too yeah. dark for kids. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's, that's why I like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, no, I've always been fascinated by fairy tales. When yeah. I was younger, you know, I used to just soak them up. So mm. um, so it's it's a, a really great thing to kind of draw on those fairy tales and twist them and and make them fresh again I think yeah yeah absolutely I love that now touching on Sophie you know I say you're talking about strong protagonists you know I often think particularly with middle grade books it's quite a responsibility in creating the main character because you want her to have some vulnerabilities but you want her to be brave was that going through your head as well you know thinking that young people are going to be reading this and perhaps looking for a role model in their books Yes, absolutely. But what I wanted Sophie to be was a very ordinary girl. So she wasn't meant to be um, exceptionally beautiful or exceptionally brave or exceptionally clever. In fact, I gave um, Sophie a few um, problems that she had to deal with, including um, dyslexia and um, learning difficulties, and also that she'd been bullied. So she was feeling really sad and really anxious and really vulnerable. And because I just feel that this is something that's really important. It's a, a thing that a lot of girls are facing in their lives now, girls from middle grade and, and teenage girls, women. And so I just wanted to have my major character suffering with this anxiety and this this um, vulnerability from her feeling that she was um, not as good as her brother in particular and not as good as some of the other girls because she had these learning difficulties and she was getting really, really badly teased at school about that. So that's where I started with, um, with Sophie was this idea of her being an ordinary girl who's very vulnerable. And I think it's so important because I think it's important for all young people to be able to find themselves in books. And you're right, you're not always going to find yourself with that, you know, brave, beautiful (laughs) protagonist. Sometimes it's nice to have a character who is facing maybe similar challenges to you. And then you think, oh, yeah, like, you know, hopefully, you know, you can push through those as well. So I liked that idea. I think it's nice to find yourself in books. 
It is. And I've, I've had, um, I go to lots and lots of schools and I often get these beautiful um, kids who come up to me and talk to me about my books. Sometimes they just want to say, oh, I love your book so much, or it's, you know, it's really impacted my life or it's changed my life. And other times they're saying, oh, Belinda, would you write about a girl like me? Would Aww. you write about a girl like me that just has brown hair? And I'm not, <sighs> super beautiful and could you write about me because you know I feel sad and lonely at school sometimes and I want to read books that have characters like like that not not perfect characters Mm, well they're far more accessible aren't they (laughs) for all of us that's really sad and touching that story so that this book's for those those little girls isn't it and boys that's very cute and I really like the quote in the book you know being brave isn't about having no fears it's about facing your fear and problems head on and that's what I love as an adult, even reading middle grade, you know, you you get something out of it as well because it's not about, you know, being brave. It's just about knowing that you have the capability to get through whatever's thrown at you. Absolutely. And I think um, I wrote this book um, while I started the idea about four years ago, most of the work of writing it was last year during COVID. So it, it was very pertinent being locked in a tower in my fairy tale <laughs> world while I was locked in my tower at home here and, and dealing with um, tough times. And, and I felt so much of it, um, perhaps I felt my emotions were heightened because we were all going through such a tough time last year, financially, um, emotionally, psychologically. And so um, I could feel as I was writing Sophie's fear and Sophie's anxiety, I could feel those emotions bubbling away inside myself so it was very easy to write those feelings Mm, that's interesting and it is very interesting how particularly artists were influenced by COVID because some people just couldn't write a thing and I like how you sort of took that isolation and took those worries and you ended up putting them in your work so that's interesting too Yes, it was really tough. I know there was days when I'd just wake up in the morning and I'd read the news and then I'd be thinking, I can't write, I can't write. Mm. And then um, I'm very motivated by deadlines. So I had this <laughs> deadline and I'd promised my publisher that I would pro- provide a book for her on a certain date. And so as the deadline got closer, I just, you know, just forced myself to keep working away <laughs> at it. So um, and, and, and to leverage those feelings and, and bring them into the book. Mm-hmm, that's great. Now, I want to talk about time slip stories because in the introduction, you've done a few. I love time <laughs> Tell me why. Tell me why you love them, why you love writing about them, why you find them interesting. I mean, I do too. And they're, you know, like a great classic sort of technique. But tell me about your story and time slips. Oh, I I'm not quite sure why I started writing time slips, but um, the first book that I wrote that was a time slip was The Locket of Dreams, which was set in modern day Australia, but also 1850s Scotland and 1850s Australia. And I was writing it for my daughter, Emily, when she was a, a young teen. And it was just this idea that um, my earlier books and the books she was reading all had these strong male protagonists. And the girls, if they were there, were just like the wing girl or the, the best friend or, or whatever it was. So I started off with this idea of, um, of, of having a really strong girl protagonist was the first thing. The second thing was that I noticed that my daughter was actually reading a lot of really old classics to find these strong girl protagonists. So she was reading Anne of Green Gables, Little Women, um, you know, the, the, all, all those beautiful um, books like The Secret Garden. And so I think I was trying to combine that idea of, um, of, of that historical idea of classic, wonderful protagonists, and then also bring it into the modern world. And when I was younger, I remember reading some fantastic time slips that really inspired me so I was really trying to inspire my very own daughter so I wrote the first one for her and then I just really got this groundswell of excitement from readers from all around Australia but also overseas just saying I love this book can you please write more books like that and so (laughs) 
of all my books, the most passionate, passionate letters I've received have been from the lovers of those time slip books. And every time I thought I, I might stop and not write another one, I get this rush of letters saying, Belinda, when is your next time slip book coming out? So <laughs> um, I think that um, this this, because I haven't written Time Slip for a little while, I'd had a lot of letters from readers saying, when's the next one coming out? And so that inspired me to go back to that. But I wanted to do something fresh. So um, I decided to combine the Time Slip with the fantasy and also set it in an Italian Renaissance world, which is so different to a lot of my other books, which have been set very much in Australia and with Australian history and Australian um, culture and landscape. So just wanted to do something really quite different. Yeah, you've done it all with this book. When you were saying you did this and you did this and you've added this setting, it's like, this is this is the book that you've done everything in and I'm wondering why time slips resonate with people and I think it's because you know it's like the time machine that's fascinating or just because it's not possible you know we can't bring our contemporary selves you know forward or back and I think you know that would be fascinating for anyone to experience that so I think you know you do that through your stories I love that I also love the idea of taking a modern girl um and with all her you know, her wisdom and her sophistication and her, but also her sense of self-awareness and thinking about the problems that she's facing in her own life and then throwing her back in the past when in many ways things were so much worse. So it puts her modern-day problems into yeah. a different perspective, but she can also use that strength and that um, find the courage within herself to deal with these problems from the past. And I just love that sort of, um, yes, that kind of, contrast between a modern day girl and the problems of the past and clashing them together yeah. and seeing what happens. No, it definitely is interesting. Absolutely. Now, also, I mentioned in the intro that you have a history of writing in your family that spans 200 years. I need to know about this. Tell me about this, Belinda. Oh, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, my sister and I joke that we have writing is in our blood because my sister is Kate Forsyth, who's also a very prolific and award-winning author. Absolutely. Uh, 45 books. Um, um, and my brother, Nick Humphrey, is also an award-winning internationally published author who's written over 10 books, a lot of nonfiction. And so we do say writings in our blood. So my great-great-great-great-grandmother was Charlotte Waring Atkinson, who wrote the first children's book that was published wow. right back in 1841. And she also wrote some other um, stories for children as well. Um, and her husband, James Atkinson, was also an author. So he wrote his book first book in 1826 which was published back in the UK and it was about one of the very first books about life in Australia and then their daughter was Louisa Atkinson who was the first Australian-born female novelist and the first Australian-born female journalist and the first woman to have this long-running series of articles that ran in the Sydney Morning Herald so it's quite an extraordinary history and we were brought up on this history being told by our grandparents about these amazing um, writers and particularly the amazing women writers in our family and I think for me and for Kate, it's always been really, really inspiring since we were young children. I love that story. And it must be in your blood. It has to be. Absolutely. <laughs> so actually, um, my sister Kate and I spent two years researching Charlotte's mm -hmm. life yeah. to write um, a, a biblio memoir called Searching for Charlotte that was published by the National Library at the end of last year. And that was just the most incredible, extraordinary journey, um, travelling back into and recreating um, her life and being our great-great-great-great-grandmother, our ancestor, and finding out all these amazing things about her life and what an extraordinary woman she was. So that was a huge joy. And we survived. We're still talking to each other. And <laughs> well, that's the plus. Hard work, yes. <laughs> 
But it must have been such a responsibility when you're recreating someone's life, you know, who's also a writer and a relation of you and you want to do that justice. Was that something that was always at the front of your mind? Absolutely, it was. It was really hard. But what was quite interesting was doing it with Kate. We both had little different takes on certain things mm-hmm. about her life. Um, and we both, we divided up her life and we decided to do it in chapters. So I wrote one chapter and it was in my voice and then Kate wrote the next chapter and it was in her voice. So we sort of looked at different things and the same incidents from slightly different perspectives as well, which I think gave it a, a, a quite a balanced sort of view. So yes, it was really tough and we were trying really hard not to over-romanticise her story, <laughs> not to exaggerate her story and I think we were a little bit worried that once we started doing the research we'd find out that she wasn't quite as fascinating as we'd been led to believe but actually when we started doing the real research we found so many things and realized that she was actually more extraordinary than we had been to believe so that was really a wonderful discovery. That is a wonderful discovery and I love that idea of romanticizing the past I do it all the time. course we do (laughs) oh my childhood was the best childhood the 80s (laughs) was the best ever and you think I don't know maybe it wasn't (laughs) romanticize it why not (laughs) yeah I think that's part of being an optimistic creative imaginative person isn't it you're right to get the bad bits and just focus just edit them out and just remember all the good times <laughs> that's absolutely right I'm interested in your writing process because you've written so many books has it changed over time have you stuck to the same writing process have you always had the same writing process tell me about this oh actually it has changed a lot um I think when I first started writing my first book um which I wrote for my own children, you know, about 15, 16 years ago. And it was just really just a matter of sitting down and I didn't plan it. I just had some ideas in my head and I sat down and just started writing. And then, you know, I lost a couple of drafts where my computer crashed and then I had to write it again. And it took about two years and, um, and I really wasn't focused on structure or there was a whole lot of things that I think um, I didn't really think about at the time. I was just kind of playing around with this idea of a story because I was just writing it for my children and myself. And I think once um, I had my first book published and I went through that editing process and then I had deadlines that were they were quite short, so I had to change the way I wrote. I had to write to these um, deadlines and think a lot more about, you know, from planning the story from the very beginning, writing a synopsis, pitching it to my publisher. I needed to know the beginning, the middle, the ending, all the setting, the characters, my themes, everything that was going to be discussed right at the very beginning so I could pitch it to my publisher and then get a deadline and then work. Um, so I think that has changed a lot since that very first book. So now I'm, yeah, I'm very, very conscious of structure and really think, you know, planning things out, spending months planning the book before I actually set, sit down at the computer to write it. And to me, that's uh, that the planning and the research, that's actually my favourite part of <laughs> writing the book now, I think. It's really interesting because it must make you more efficient, I guess, doing yes. a lot of the thinking beforehand. But, yes. I mean, you still, I guess, have the freedom to change things around once you're writing as well. Yes, absolutely. So sometimes I go back and read the synopsis I pitched to my publisher and I, I think, oh, is that what I was going to do? Oh, that completely changed. Like that went out. <laughs> Hope you don't mind my new synopsis. Oh, she's very accommodating. But um, I can remember there was one that I completely changed. It It was a very short one in a, in a series and I suddenly went, oh, sorry about that. I was going to do that, wasn't I? <laughs> But normally um, I find it does help me. It's much more efficient. I don't waste time and I don't get that dreadful writer's block where you think 
I just can't work my way out of this problem yeah. um, because it's kind of um, you've thought about it beforehand. And also I feel like the structure helps me, um, thinking about the structure helps me make the book tighter and makes me think about building tension and um, character development and how my characters change and showing sort of that uh, dynamic protagonist and that transformative journey and all of those things um, I'm much more conscious of now than I was when I first started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fascinated about a writing process, however way the way people do it. Like I think it's fascinating the way people's brains work. And I, I truly admire those people who can just, you know, write without planning and you think, wow, that editing, going back to that manuscript must be really tough because it's, you know, very, very, well, maybe not. Maybe people are just really good at it. I don't know, but I find it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I do too because I know some people just absolutely swear by by that mm. process and that just in that it's a really creative process. But I think I like to cling to my <laughs> my plate. It's like cooking in the kitchen. I when I cook, I love a recipe, but then I change it and I mix <laughs> yeah. it up. And, but it, it gives me a starting point. And That's right. So I feel like a plan's the same. The synopsis is the same. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. Now, Belinda, a question I ask everyone who comes onto the podcast, why do you write? Oh, that's such an interesting question because writing is so hard sometimes. I think I must be crazy. Why am I doing this? But I absolutely, absolutely love it. And I I love getting lost in that world, creating a world, creating the characters that I fall in love with and I become fascinated by. And the other thing I love is the interaction with your readers and the way um, readers love your, your books and your characters. And I love this feedback I can get from particularly kids who write to me and say how much they love my books and how much it means to them and how it helped them through a really tough time at school or where they were going through a tough time in their family and reading my books helped them through it or how it changed their lives. And you said in the introduction how books change lives and I believe that so firmly and I think that must be the number one reason why I love writing is I feel that that these books that I that I create that's come from somewhere um, and I just think it's so wonderful that you can create something that can um, really touch other people's lives. Absolutely. And that's why I love books too, because I think in some ways they've not only, you know, they help change the world, but they help change you. They help you to reflect on the world and, um, you know, they're, they're comforting and they're consoling as well. So they're many things. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons I love writing for children is because I remember being a middle grade reader and how much books meant to me then and how a book could change. I, I I felt that that book changed my life or helped me see the world in a different way. And um, so I just love tapping into that particular, I love middle grade fiction Mm. for that reason, because your audience is just so passionate about the books they read. They just love them. Whereas I feel with adults, they're kind of been, (laughs) (laughs) the cynicism has set in. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it amazing? Like imagine being a middle grade uh, reader now with all the choice that you have. You know, I think about when I was a kid, you know, you didn't have, I didn't think I had that much choice in what you read, you know, but now the books that are coming out, particularly in our country, the kids are just spoiled for choice. So lucky them. Absolutely. And I think also, you know, I think when I was about that age, all the authors that I'd read, I think they were all dead. And um, this idea that you can meet an author and that you can write to them and they'll answer you and that you can see them on Zoom or have them in your school. And I think that's 
so lucky for kids it is. these days. It Absolutely. Because really I'm thinking about when I was a kid, I didn't see any authors at all, you know, when I was a kid. But then when I was in teaching for a number of years, I would always bring authors in, you know, <laughs> these real people who write, you know, write these books. So Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a much more rather than you writing a book and it goes out to there, it's much more mm. of an interaction and yeah. a communication back and forward between your readers and, and the author, which I think really adds to the whole um, process. And I feel like I really get so much energy from mm. those readers. Um, yeah. The number of times I want to give up and then suddenly ping into my inbox comes this beautiful letter and <laughs> I think, oh, of course, that's why I'm doing it. No, that's a beautiful thing. I love that beautiful story. So it is, you know, absolutely true that literature has that positive impact. Belinda, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you. I feel like we covered so much ground. I feel like you are just like me. You just love to talk really fast about books. I'm like, I feel like we were we were matching in that way. So I really loved that. <laughs> I know. I always talk so fast. And no, me too. I'm like, yes, I found my match. I'm good. <laughs> so otherwise I'm always trying to slow down. It never works. So I'm like, yes, I found my person vibing with them. So thank oh, you so much so for your much. time. It's just a joy to be on the, on the show. So thank you. And thank you for writing this book. It is a joy and I know kids are going to love it. So thank you so much. Thanks, Danny.